Hello there, and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast. <laughs> About to premiere the fourth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, with the chapters The Wine and The Ship. We hope you're enjoying the story, the settings, and the characters so far. After this podcast episode, there will be eight more. There should be an ad before each episode, but we know from experience that YouTube sometimes starts to freestyle with ads, putting them here and there and in other places, and that is not our intention. So there should be no ads during the story, as we think that ruins the experience. Should you notice any ads during the story, please notify us in the comments section. Sometimes it's a nasty little new checkbox that we overlooked, or if not, we'd have to notify YouTube. We're happy to announce that last month brought us no less than seven new patrons in various tiers. We welcome Cameron Brantley, Grand General, Joshua Ward and Cody H, Witch Hunter Masters, Thorsten Panknin, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Dragan Chirich, I hope I pronounced that correctly, I really don't know, Captains of the Guard, and Joshua Soros and Hannes Fusch, Guardsmen. May they keep Seven Peaks safe, and may their authority over all citizens be fair. Welcome, guys, to our Patreon community. We hope you love all the content that we've sent you as a reward, and all the things that we've posted on Patreon over the past year and a half. If you'd like to join too, make sure to check out our Patreon page on patreon.com audioepics. Among the many rewards are exclusive content like stories you can't find anywhere else online, exclusive updates and lots of exclusive merchandise. And you can find the 50 minutes longer extended edition to this story, The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, there as well. We'd like to thank all of you for liking, commenting and sharing on YouTube and Podbean and social media, for reviewing our books, ebooks and audiobooks on Amazon and Goodreads, and for purchasing our content on Bandcamp. Don't forget to make use of the subscription button and notification bell on YouTube or the RSS feed on Podbean to get notified of new episodes. We hope you've brought that bottle of fine red wine with you, cause here it is, the fourth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. The Wine Ludlove saw precious little of Chappelle over the following days. Whenever he did run into her, there were other people nearby, which somehow stopped him from addressing her. He wanted to give her back the sketch, but secretly wondered what she might know about the cult that murdered his wife. The image had been unmistakable. It even featured the drop of blood dangling from the curve of the sickle's blade. The Teresia was making good time. The skies were clear and the weather was soft, but there was a good wind blowing from the west, which helped them along swiftly. Whether this was due to the skill of the crew members, the prayers of the blessed Zeelenheim, or the mercy of the goddess herself after their brutal encounter with Tuvalba, he did not know. It was afternoon when Ludlow finally found Chapelle alone, exactly where he thought he would. She was looking out over the sea, towards the cliffs along the coastline of Goldor, far in the distance. 
Do you think you'll catch a glimpse of the convent of Sancta Brisea? Ludlov asked. In truth, I think we may have already passed Sainte Brisée. Her calm tone indicated she had expected him. But still, I like to watch the coast of my homeland. He handed her the page with the sketch on it. You dropped this after our conversation a few nights ago. Chappelle accepted the page gratefully. I had noticed it was gone. Thank you, Ludlow. She looked at him as if there was more that she wanted to say, so he waited. I know it must seem strange to you that I carry around such gruesome designs I need. She opened the folded page to look at it again. These are my drawings. Sometimes things come back to my memory and I put them on paper. I want to remember everything I can, learn as much as possible about the things I saw. Ludlov looked at her, puzzled. He was shocked to realize she didn't know what the drawing represented. Chappelle looked away from him again, across the sea. You don't know what this is? He asked, more bluntly than he had intended. The drawing? It's some sort of symbol. One of many I saw in the woods of Baudouac. It's the black sickle. This is their mark. The shock in her eyes was genuine, which restored some of the trust he had felt earlier. The cultists who killed your wife? Indeed, Ludlow said softly. But they were city people, organized and... Civilized? Don't hesitate to use the word, witch hunter. Civilization houses just as many evils as the wilds do. He sat down on a nearby chest. We both want to confront the evildoers who murdered our loved ones. But in the end, I suppose we are both still running away, afraid to face them. Chappelle looked at the coastline again, more clearly visible now than ever before. Gulls were soaring above the Teresia, looking for scraps. There begins the land where they live, Ludlow. No one else came after them. They still live in those woods, still doing rituals, still making victims. Perhaps the Knights of Garleon, Ludlow began, but Chapelle shook her head. The Knights took an oath long ago to leave the inhabitants of the great forests alone. Surely they must have meant the druids who dwell in Dryadane, not these savages. She smiled ruefully. You do not know the Knights she said. An oath is an oath to them. There are no reinterpretations or amendments. Ludlow had to respect that, as frustrating as it was. You say there were many symbols. Yes, I would be happy to show you the others. I draw everything I can remember. I don't have my sketchbook with me right now, Oh, look over there! It's the coastline of Goldor! shouted Gustav, who had appeared out of nowhere and was spewing the crumbs of a piece of bread he was eating onto the deck. The girls would surely be feasting soon. I know, Gustav, Chapelle said. We're getting closer to Luanvue. Gustav looked at her and then at Ludlow, sitting close by, and he held up his arms. Sorry for interrupting your little romantic rendezvous. You know, 
I play the lute. If you ever want to have a candlelight dinner on deck, I could really set the scene for you. Alvarado appeared from behind Gustav's back, patting the flatlander on the shoulder. I doubt it, amigo. I am afraid romantic entanglements are forbidden for members of our order. Oh, Gustav said with widening eyes. So it's forbidden love, is it? Even more romantic. Ludlow didn't have time for this nonsense. He stood up, ready to bid farewell to Chappelle and make for his cabin. But Alvarado stopped him. That was not very sensitive, Gustav. Ludlow is an honorable man. Next time, choose your words more carefully. Instantly, Ludlow's annoyance disappeared. For the first time in many years, he felt like he had real friends, and it made his heart swell with hope and gratitude. Gustav shrugged and moved on. The Esclavian gave Ludlow and Chappelle a charming smile and left as well. I think I would like to pay a visit to the Boduag forest myself one day, Ludlow told Chappelle. If ever you make it to the rank of master, you may go where you wish, Ludlow, unless you receive some direct orders from a lord or the grand general, of course. He already knew this, but the reminder strengthened him in his resolve to complete his training. But I would strongly advise against it, Chappelle continued unexpectedly. Even for a master, no one should enter those woods alone. Perhaps one day we will both be masters, and we can go together, he said causing a look of proud resolve to appear on the delicate Goldorian's face. It was a bright golden dawn when the Teresia arrived at the port of Rouenvu. Summer was in full swing now, and it was already quite warm even shortly after sunrise. Ludlow admired the city from the deck while the crew were readying the gangplank. It was a very different sight from Brughaven indeed. While the pride of Lioncrest had been a beautiful place to visit, Wanvu was simply glorious. There were tall towers with round pointed rooftops bearing colorful flags. There were mansions, churches, shops and houses painted in cheerful yellows and soft pinks or built out of stones with natural warm hues. There were gilded statues, fountains overflowing with crystal clear water, and most beautiful of all, there were flowers everywhere. On every balcony, underneath every window, and in every little garden, even on the rooftops, there were red and purple peonies, orange nasturtiums, and immaculately white lilies of the valley. Ludlow had never seen such a wide variety and sharp contrast of colors in one place. But somehow, the view was deeply pleasant and harmonious, not jarring or chaotic at all. The people of Wangvue were equally colorful in the way they dressed. He saw dandyish men in blood-red breeches and storm-blue feathered caps, women in orange dresses with yellow fringes, and even horses clothed with green blankets with white tassels. There will be no rooms for you in Wanvu, said Master von Baumeister. You will sleep in your usual quarters on the ship during our stay, which will not be long. I understand your haste, Master, said Captain Brokelhoff. 
but I do want to make sure that Teresia is fully ready before we depart. Naturally, Captain. If we can assist in any way, please let us know. I already sent a pigeon to some of my contacts in Loinvue to notify them of our encounter with that mythic worm. They'll help me restore the crow's nest and some of the minor damage, but it will take some time, Captain Brokelhoff answered. I think it's best if you explore the city a bit during the day, so we can finish up as quick as possible. Then he turned to Chappelle. Mademoiselle Chappelle, I trust your taste in wine. Would you be so kind as to purchase our stock for the remaining journey? I think about 20 barrels should do. He handed Chappelle a purse full of money. And Master Alvarado, you know a thing or two about good food, I've heard. Can I entrust some of our funds to you as well? Alvarado's face lit up, as bright as the colors of Loinville. If there is one thing this city is well known for, it is Brue Gras, he said. That is true, Chappelle admitted. What is Brue Gras? Gustave asked. Puecra is a local dish, with a rare kind of mollusk served with melted cheese, steamed onions and roasted bread. The description triggered Ludlov's stomach, which protested loudly at the lack of breakfast. Come, Alvarado, we will head into the city, Chappelle said. I know where you can find the best, authentic Puecra. Ludlov, would you join us as well? Ludlov stepped forward to join Chappelle and Alvarado. Gustav also went with them, since he'd also become curious about this local dish. Blessed Zelenheim took Federhel with her to visit the famous Museum of Cartography, since they both suffered a greater hunger for knowledge than for food. The others remained in the harbour to have their breakfast on board the Teresia. While they were exploring the city, its unique charm became even more obvious up close. Most windows were framed by a particular design of wooden shutters, always painted in a color that contrasted starkly with the house, sometimes bearing floral designs. Many roofs were covered with peculiar shingles in deep dark blue or even purple. They were often shaped to resemble leaves or perhaps the scales of a fish. Ivy was allowed to grow freely along the walls and even over rooftops. Along with an abundance of trees lining the streets and flowers on every corner, Ludlow felt as if the entire city was one big park. There seemed to be no logic to the way the streets were arrayed. One moment they were walking up a hill across a bridge, and then they were going down in a bend, passing underneath the same bridge again in the other direction. Are you sure you know where you are going? Alvarado asked. Yes, yes. This is the way. Chappelle replied confidently. It was nearly noon, and they were all ravenous. At last, the smell of food reached them as they made their way through a shadowy alley, at the end of which was a humble little tavern. Le demi-poulet, Chappelle announced. Due to its name, people think they just serve chicken, but their seafood is in fact among the best in Loinville. At least, that was the case when I was a little girl. The place appeared to be a little bit run down, but they were not the only patrons, and there was a friendly atmosphere to the establishment, despite its shady location. The waitress, a tall woman with long brown hair, introduced herself as Janine, and gave them a full description of the various sorts of brouet gras that existed. 
Ludlow settled on the Brouet Gras Special, which he discovered was actually a sumptuous seafood stew. Alvarado had chosen the Brouet Gras d'eau douce, which contained trout and salmon, and he was over the moon with it. Now about that wine, he began during the meal. Do you know where to find that as well, Chapelle? She laughed. <laughs> a blind donkey could find a wine merchant in Wainvue, my friend. But I remember the one where my father used to buy. With any luck, he may still remember me and we might get a friend's discount. Aha! That is excellent! Then we have more culinary pleasures to look forward to. It was easy to forget they were actually on a dangerous mission during their stay in Wainvu. In every respect, it felt like a very pleasant holiday, except for one. They all knew that soon they would leave for Boneyard Bay, where the true quest would begin. And none of them had any idea what they would be facing down there. It was hard to believe they had already faced the terror of Tubalbar on their sea voyage. Having lunch with his newfound friends in this charming city, Ludlow found he couldn't even summon such dark images in his mind. The whole ordeal seemed like a half-forgotten nightmare now. After they had finished their meal, Chapelle led the three men to a hill at the northern edge of the city. There was a large, beautiful mansion with a carefully maintained rose garden behind a cast-iron fence with a tall, ornate gate that stood wide open. A gravel path led to the front door. Chapelle stood there for a while, just looking at the house. Nice place. I wouldn't mind living there, Gustave said. I did live there, Chapelle replied wistfully. Long ago. Is it as nice on the inside as it looks on the outside? Ludlow rolled his eyes at Gustave's silly question. But Chapelle didn't seem to mind at all. If I remember correctly, it was even nicer. This was your father's house then? Ludlow asked. It was, before he died and my mother was forced to sell it. I know nothing about the people who live there now, but... If you want to take a look inside, why don't you knock on the door? Alvarado suggested. We will wait. Chapelle looked to the house, then back to her companions. Are you sure you wouldn't mind? I think I speak for all of us when I say not at all, Alvarado said. Ludlov nodded approvingly. Gustav just shrugged. I will be back soon, said Chapelle, before making her way to the front door. They could hear her knock and saw the door being opened by a thin, tanned woman in her fifties. There was a brief conversation, but it was in Goldorian and too soft for them to overhear clearly. Chapelle was led into the house, and the door closed behind her. Well, what do we do now? Gustav asked. We wait, Ludlow said, looking out over the city of Loinville. We have a beautiful vista here. I say we enjoy it. That's what I was thinking as she was walking up to that door, Alvarado said then immediately held up his hands in apology. Lo siento. Chapelle is my superior, I know. I am just a man with eyes. What can I say? Ludlow tried to ignore the man's words. Alvarado and Gustav spent the next half hour talking about women and which types they found attractive. 
Ludlov stayed out of it as long as possible, until the question was posed directly at him. He tried to shrug it off. Come on, Ludlov, Gustav pressed. We've been wearing our hearts on our sleeves here. I like sophisticated redheads. Alvarado likes dumb tavern wenches. That's not what I said at all, Alvarado protested. Tell us, what's your type? Gustav continued, ignoring the Esclavian initiate. <sighs> I was married, you know. I don't have a type. My wife was my type. These sorts of conversations are just tiresome to me. Then tell us, what was your wife like, if you wish? Alvarado asked gently. Ludlov sighed again, but not out of exasperation this time. <sighs> Better than I deserved. A gentle soul, with a warm and generous spirit, too sweet and delicate for a world full of evil and corruption. She was always a bit... not quite like us. Not like other people. Before the others could react, the door of the house opened and Chappelle emerged. She gave her host a cordial greeting and returned to the three men. As she approached, Ludlow noticed she was carrying a small bronze figurine, about as tall as her hand. How was it? he asked. The people who live in my family's house now are very friendly. It was good to see my old home again. What's that? Gustav asked, pointing at the figurine. It's a depiction of the maiden, Gustav. The lady of the house was kind enough to give me this as a, a gift. Ludlow found it a bit odd, but then he didn't know much about Goldorian customs. Well, let's be on our way now, Chappelle said, and before anyone could respond, she was already on her way down the hill towards the eastern side of the city. After another disorienting walk through the maze of Loinvue, they arrived at a tall, half-timbered house. If the lavish sign outside hadn't made it clear enough, the massive barrels stacked next to the door indicated beyond any doubt that it was a wine merchant's base of operations. They came up to a gangly teenager who greeted them awkwardly. Chappelle's witch hunter uniform made little to no impression in these parts, but her name did seem to ring a bell with the young man. He led them to the cellars, where it was refreshingly cool and dark after the sun-drenched streets of Loinvue. A massive man approached them, both tall and fat. He had wild red hair and a handlebar moustache. Monsieur Latrappe? Chappelle said. Petite Marie! <laughs> the man began talking to her in Goldorian, but it all went by much too fast for Ludlow, who could understand bits and pieces of the language, but no more. He could only just make out that Monsieur Latrappe had recognized Chappelle by her eyes. And he tried to ignore the fact that he had heard him call her by her first name. He liked it, though. Marie Chappelle. It was a beautiful name altogether. Chappelle introduced Alvarado, Ludlov and Gustave. An Esclavian, an Evandalian and a Flatlander. Monsieur Latrappe commented in heavily accented thotic. Walking into a wine cellar. Is this the beginning of a joke? <laughs> he burst out laughing, as if he had already heard the punchline in his head. Then he began asking Chappelle lots of questions again in their native language. 
He heard her mention Seven Peaks and the Witch Hunter Order in her reply, and the big man's jovial face slowly turned more serious. He crossed his arms. Witch Hunter, huh? I hear strange stories about them, he said a little bit disapprovingly. Many of those are true, Chappelle said. And many are not. It does not matter either way. There are good witch hunters and bad ones. I aim to be one of the good ones. Monsieur Latrappe's natural smile returned, if a little reluctantly. I would not doubt the daughter of my good friend, Raymond Chappelle. <laughs> may the goddess keep his soul. Now, uh, what is the purpose of your visit, if I may ask? Wine, of course, Chappelle said. After a lot of lecturing on different types of wine, extensive discussions on the most fitting choice depending on the food that would be served alongside it, and a fair bit of tasting, the four of them emerged from La Trappe's establishment with a writ of purchase for 20 barrels of some of the finest wines in Wainvue. When they arrived back at the Theresia, it was already evening, and the ship looked like some mythical vessel, aglow in the sunset. Men were still working on it, repairing the main mast and installing a new crow's nest. Apparently, they had reattached one of the two remaining rowboats on the port side to starboard. It was a detail that struck Ludlove, but he thought it made a lot of difference. Federhel greeted them as they came walking up the gangplank. Good evening. How did your search for wine go? Perfectly well, Federhel. Thank you, Chappelle said. Captain Brokelhoff approached them. Welcome back, witch hunters and initiates, he corrected himself. I hope your visit to Loinvue went well. As well as could be hoped, Captain, Chappelle said charmingly, then handed him the writ of purchase. And this is the wine you may expect to arrive here by tomorrow morning. The captain took a look at the list, making pleased sounds as he went over the names, and once even uttered a pleasantly surprised, Ooh. Well, this looks excellent he said. I hope you didn't have to add your own money to the meager budget I gave you. On the contrary, Captain, Chappelle said, handing him the purse of money, which still contained some coins. Amazing! You have certainly proven your worth aboard this ship, mademoiselle. The captain's weakness for beautiful women made him practically ignore the other passengers. But Ludlove could forgive the likable Lioncrester for that. Chappelle had, after all, done him a great service. They had bought some Goldorian bread and cheese on the way back, which they proceeded to eat on deck. Federhel, Alvarado and Gustav invited Ludlov to join in their game of Palasht, the Parslavanian card game they had been playing ever since Alvarado had discovered a deck on board the Theresia. Ludlov decided to play for a few rounds and found himself enjoying it as a pleasant distraction, even though he lost every single one of them. Alvarado fared no better, but he clearly played the game for the sake of simple fun and camaraderie, while Federhel and Gustav both approached it in a much more serious and competitive way. Being his usual boisterous self, the Flatlander was better at trash talk than he was at the game. Federhel, on the other hand, remained stoic throughout it all. He was a quiet, focused player who won every round with ease. After sunset, when the sky turned to soft pastel hues of blue and purple, and the air began to cool, they saw Master von Baumeister, 
leaving the ship with Tomgard. Neither of them said a word to the card players. Where would they be going? Alvarado wondered aloud. Longcrocassi, said the priestess unexpectedly. None of them had noticed her standing on the deck. Famous dockside tavern, quite beloved with travelers. I hope they still serve that rosé I like. Then, with an almost apologetic smile, she made her way down the gangplank. Well, if the priestess is going for a drink, I'm not staying behind, Alvarado said, clearly happy to abandon the game. popularity of L'Ancre Cassé was quite obvious to any visitor in Loinville. The sounds of raucous laughter and boisterous singing continually echoed from the establishment over the docks, night and day. It was an unusual place, both a haven for rough sailors and an attractive curiosity for more refined travellers. It was decorated in a distinctly nautical style that simultaneously evoked a sense of home and hearth. The broken anchor that gave the tavern its name hung on the mantelpiece as the crown jewel among a lavish collection of wall decorations, which also included several paintings of stormy seas, as well as of Loinvue itself. There was also an entire case full of bottled miniature ships, several mounted crabs, and the jaws of some huge fish, perhaps a shark. The scent of seafood mingled with burnt wood, pipe smoke, beer and sweat hung thick in the air. I could go for a second dinner, Alvarado said, sniffing the air with clear delight. Mm. The others ignored his remark and led him further in. All the treasure hunters were gathered together around a table, and a few of the Teresia's regular crew were there as well, sitting at different tables further on, behind a mass of other patrons. Some were already arm-wrestling in a thinly-veiled attempt to impress the local women, Others were simply eyeing the harlots and counting their coins. The companions were enjoying various Goldorian drinks, ranging from the famous wines of Loinvue to the popular ale known as Chevalier from Carléon. The mood was so light that even Master von Baumeister and Turmgard seemed more agreeable than usual. The conversation turned to old war stories and humorous anecdotes, which was of course where Gustav shone until he became too drunk to remember anything clearly. He even started telling tales about political conflicts in Flatland from the point of view of the historical figures involved. Alvarado's tales were slightly less spectacular, but decidedly more believable, and often ended in a hilarious twist. Everyone was already chuckling when he proceeded to tell them how, as a cook in training, he had once used too much pepper and accidentally sneezed into the plate of a nobleman right before it was taken out of the kitchen to the dining table. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what I had that night, but it was no ordinary cold. A perfectly prepared fish salad, ruined by my snot. No one had seen it happen, and all of a sudden this serving girl comes in and just snatches the plate right from under my nose. I just stood there watching her leave the kitchen with it. There it went, 
a perfect dish on a gorgeous plate with my phlegm right on top of it. <laughs> and it was a big one, let me tell you. Federhel was shaking his head, laughing. Imagine how I spent the rest of the night, hiding away in the kitchen, trying to stay out of sight of everyone, but I could not avoid my fate. Eventually, the servants came asking for me, and I had to present myself at the dinner table. So there I went, almost soiling my breeches. I thought I was going to be kicked out of the castle for certain, at the very least. Up I went to this nobleman, and he was just beaming at me. I thought, what's this? Is he relishing the thought of humiliating me in public? But no, the next thing I know, this man is showering me in compliments. He could not stop talking about how delicious his salad had been, especially with this amazing clam sauce. Everyone was in tears. Ludlov couldn't remember laughing this hard. Then his gaze shifted to Chappelle, who was only smiling at the story, clutching the figurine as if her life depended on it. While the others were still joking about Alvarado's secret sauce, Ludlov moved closer to Chappelle. Is everything all right? he asked. She smiled gratefully at his concern. Yes, it's just... I've been thinking about... Madame Florentville. Is that the lady who lives in your old home? Chappelle nodded sadly. I have to ask for your forgiveness, Ludlov. I wasn't entirely honest. Ludlov was very surprised to hear a witch hunter speak to an initiate in such a manner. This figurine was not a mere gift. It was meant for me. Someone had left it with Madame Florentville. Unfortunately, I have no idea who it was. She allowed him to take it from her. Ludlov accepted it, at first simply admiring the craftsmanship. The maiden was represented with her arms spread wide in a welcoming gesture. A joyful smile was discernible on the tiny face. Then his eyes went to the base. Beneath her feet was the name, Chapelle. Ludlov looked at her, puzzled, then returned the statuette. Then Gustav, who had been watching the interaction from squinting eyes, pointed at the figurine and loudly proclaimed, You know, Chappelle, that little maiden statuette of yours looks a bit like the one I have of, 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 of Sintrasha. He swayed in his chair, holding on to his mug of ale as if it were glued to the table. Of course, mine is more than just a statuette, if you know what I mean. He slurred with a big, fat wink. Von Baumeister looked as if he were about to strangle the drunken shopkeeper. Be quiet, you fool! Hmm? Gustav reacted sleepily. Oh, right! Secret journey and all that! <laughs> he smiled, then put his finger to his lips. His eyes went over the table. Nobody mentioned Boneyard Bay! He bellowed. Federhel kicked the flatlander beneath the table, but he was so far gone he hardly felt it. Everyone began to talk loudly about all manner of different subjects in an effort to turn the conversation away from their quests. In all the confusion, nobody noticed how Chappelle quietly left the table with the bronze figurine clutched in her fist except for Ludlov, who followed her outside. Chappelle was quiet on the way back. Ludlov wondered what she was thinking. 
I will kill them, Ludlow, she said eventually, through gritted teeth. Ludlow knew she meant the people or creatures that killed her mother and brother, and he felt somewhat responsible for encouraging her to visit her old home. Had he known it would revive her old wounds, he would have never done so, and immediately accompanied her to that friendly wine merchant instead. It was very uncharacteristic of her, but for the first time, Ludlow saw that she really did have the hardness in her that a witch hunter needed to possess. But unlike some, Chappelle was still capable of great softness as well. I will destroy every last one of them if it's the last thing I do, she said again. Goddess help me, I will. Suddenly, she began to sob, softly and quietly. They sat for a while on the low wall of the fountain in Wenvu. Ludlow stayed with Chapelle until her tears had dried and she looked like herself again. Then they returned to the ship. When Ludlow and Chapelle arrived back at the Theresia, it was already deep in the night. But Gustav and the other two initiates were still playing palasht on deck by the light of a single lantern. Chapelle bade Ludlow good night and then she retired to her cabin. Unwilling to go to sleep, Ludlow decided to join the other men in their game. When he approached, Alvarado gave him a sly grin. Ah, finally! Our lovebirds have arrived! Gustav shouted, subtle as ever. May I join your game? Ludlow asked. Alvarado invited him in for another round. The game went as it always did with Gustav prattling on and subsequently losing from quiet calculating Federhell. Eventually, Ludlow lost for the umpteenth time and tired of the game. He wished the other men a pleasant night and left, wondering when they would finally be going to sleep. That night he dreamed about Maria again. The ship. The Theresia was cleaving a path through the blue waters of the Southern Sea, on her way straight to Boneyard Bay. To a casual observer, it would seem Ludlow was reading or studying on the deck, sitting on a barrel with his feet resting on a chest next to it. There was a satchel beside him on the barrel containing some other books and materials. In truth, he hadn't looked at the book in his hand for quite some time. He was watching the rolling waves and the white clouds slowly drifting by, looking like floating snowy mountain peaks in the azure sky. He breathed in deep. He had been a city man for most of his life, but being at sea had come to agree with him. As soon as they had left Luanvu, the nightmares had ceased. It might have been the soothing beauty of the calm seas that had refreshed his mind. Or perhaps it was just the simplicity of travel and the clarity of their destination and their goal. He had also found more peace by spending time alone in thought and prayer. Simultaneously, he was deeply grateful for the presence of his traveling companions, especially Chapelle and Alvarado.
Gustav could be somewhat tiresome at times, but he had proven his worth in Ludlow's eyes. And more than that, somewhere beneath the lies and exaggerations, the adventurous shopkeeper seemed to have some sense of loyalty and honor. Ludlow had also come to appreciate Federhelm more over time. He was beginning to think he had misjudged the bookish young man, considering him too soft and unprepared for the dangers and hardships of witch hunter life. But Federhel had actually shown himself to be more cool-headed and implacable than any of them, except perhaps for Blessed Zelenheim. The priestess had equally impressed Ludlow, with the calm determination of her deep faith and her quiet patience. She was also more approachable than she had seemed at first. Tumgard, on the other hand, still struck Ludlow as arrogant and aloof, all while clinging to his master in a way that appeared insecure and weak. Ludlow tried to refrain from judging the man too harshly, though. He didn't really know him very well, and he was, after all, still of superior rank. And then there was the master himself. Ludlow wondered what to make of von Baumeister. He seemed to care little for what anyone thought of him, and that in itself was a good sign. Disingenuous people tended to seek for the approval of others. His pragmatism often came across as callous, even cruel, but he was focused and devoted to their cause without question, as a witch hunter ought to be. His thoughts were interrupted by a sudden change in the scene before him. In the distance, he clearly saw a small black spot on the waves. It was not the first time he had noticed it. A day earlier, he had seen the same shape on the horizon behind them. From where he stood, it was impossible to tell whether it was a ship or something else, but it was clear to Ludlow that it was following the Teresia, while keeping a safe distance. He heard footsteps behind him and turned around. It was Alvarado. Ludlow, amigo, would you care for something to eat? He asked cordially. Then Ludlow saw he was holding a folded cloth with something like a rolled-up pancake in it. Despite the large quantities of wine aboard the ship, the food itself tended to be fairly monotonous. That was until Alvarado had offered to assist the ship's cook, Berend. The Esclavian had a collection of herbs and spices, as well as a knack for applying them, that opened up a whole new world of tastes and aromas. It was afternoon, and Ludlow could certainly do with a snack, so he put his book aside and gratefully accepted the offer. To his surprise, the pancake was cold, and inside of it he could see vegetables, sauce and bits of meat. What's it called? Delicious, by most, Alvarado said proudly. Ludlow took a bite and was pleasantly surprised. Mmm. They're right. In truth, it does not have a name yet, his friend said. <laughs> Maybe you should call it an Alvarado, Ludlow suggested. That is estupendo, brilliant, Ludlow. The Sklavian slapped his back in enthusiasm, almost causing Ludlow to choke on the delightful snack. One day, I will open up my own establishment that sells all kinds of Alvarados. I will have a different recipe for each season, and special holiday Alvarados too, of course. <laughs> he wagged his finger and laughed. You, Ludlow, <laughs> you are a genius! <laughs> a genius! And with another laugh, he left. 
When Mudlove was alone again, he decided he had lost interest in the book and replaced it with an old large sketchbook that had remained unused so far. Following Maria's death, he had rarely opened it anymore, but after some doubts, he had decided to take it along on his journey in his satchel. He didn't think of himself as much of an artist, but there were times when he found drawing to be a soothing activity. He took out a piece of charcoal and began to draw a sinuous line across the paper. His mind went blank as he intuitively continued to sketch a pair of eyes. They were very beautiful eyes, the most beautiful he had ever seen, Maria's. To his own surprise, he found he had drawn tears rolling down from them. Why had he done that? Was that his abiding memory of her? As he looked at what he had drawn, he was suddenly overwhelmed by an unbearable desire to see her again and to hear her voice. In order to clear his mind, he began to draw something else on the opposite page, only to discover it was another tear. He rendered it with a shadow, making it a dark, oily substance. Above it, he drew an equally dark blade, shaped like a crescent moon. It turned into a more detailed rendition of Chappelle's sketch of the black sickle. Ludlow had been so preoccupied with his drawing that he hadn't noticed Federhel coming to lean against the railing beside him. When he noticed the young man, Ludlow quickly covered the drawing of the heinous symbol. His sudden movement caught Federhel's attention, who turned his head and noticed the drawing of Maria's eyes. That's quite good, he said. I didn't know you drew. I don't really, Ludlow said, closing the sketchbook with a dull clap. He put it back in the satchel without another comment. Federhel shrugged. I'm not an expert on art, but I liked it. Ludlow smiled, forgetting his embarrassment momentarily. I didn't know there were any topics in which you weren't well-versed, Federhel. Or oh, there are far more fields where I'm an absolute dolt than there are where I'm an expert, Federhel replied. Ludlow saw in the initiate's eyes that he wasn't speaking out of false modesty. The truth is that I remember things easily, and I read widely, but unfortunately my interests are so widespread that I only possess surface-level knowledge on most topics. There is a place for that, Ludlow said with a shrug. Well, it's me lot in life, whatever I may think, Federhel replied. But to be honest, I'm sometimes envious of a man like Alvarado. He's chosen food as his area of expertise, and he excels in it. I think life is easier when you've got that kind of focus. We each have our own value and our own role in the goddess's grand design, Ludlow said. Besides, if Alvarado wanted to spend his entire life cooking, he wouldn't have joined the order. That's true, Federhel admitted. I suppose no one ever feels like they're skilled or knowledgeable enough. Well, maybe Tuomgard does, <laughs> Ludlow said with a shrug, causing Federhel to burst out laughing. His laughter suddenly ended when his eyes turned to the horizon. I saw it too, just now, Ludlow said. A ship, perhaps? Let's see then, shall we? replied Federhel. He took a cylindrical item out of a leather holster hanging from his belt. Then Ludlow saw it was a spyglass. Federhel extended it and peered through. Ah, it's a ship, he said, sounding slightly worried. Can you see it clearly? Ludlow asked. 
feeling slightly uneasy himself. I can. It's a frigate. Entirely black. Black hull, black sails. No sign of a flag. He held out the spyglass to Ludlow. See for yourself. Ludlow accepted the device and looked through. At first he only saw waves, but then Federhell directed his arm towards the speck on the horizon. When Ludlow saw the ship, he suddenly recognized it. This vessel was anchored in Moinvu, he said. I remember it clearly. Could they be pirates? I don't think so. We didn't see anything untoward while we were in Moinvu, did we? Don't be naive, Federhell, said Gustav, who had joined them unexpectedly. Sometimes pirates hide their presence, you know. Did you see anyone near that black ship while we were in Moinvu, Ludlow? Ludlow lowered the spyglass. Not as far as I can remember. In fact, the ship seemed quite abandoned. Let me have a look, Gustav demanded, gesturing impatiently for the spyglass. With a disapproving expression, Ludlow handed over the item. Krach, now what? Gustav cried out. That is the ship. I remember it too now, and I didn't see any of the crew either. What do you think it means? Federhel asked. Nothing to worry about, I think, Gustav said. Even if they are pirates, they couldn't possibly catch up to us now. Master von Baumeister and his faithful shadow Turmguard approached. Is everything all right here, Initiates? Von Baumeister asked. Certainly, Master, Federhel said in his usual polite way. We were watching a ship on the horizon that left from Moinvu shortly after we did. Black ship? Black sails? Von Baumeister asked. That's the one, Master. Hmm, grunted the Master Witch Hunter. You should have notified me right away, Initiates. I remember the ship as well, said Tormgard. It looked rather imposing in its dark appearance, I must say. Von Baumeister granted him a sideways glance. It is a nameless vessel, he said. I've asked the harbour master about it in Wyvu. He seemed to know as little about it as we do. We should keep an eye on it. Of course, master. But if I may say so, even if they are following us, I'm not worried, said Federhel. The ship may look sinister, but the Teresia's bigger, faster, and armed to the teeth. Master von Baumeister's eyes were hidden in the shadow of his wide-brimmed hat, but the corners of his mouth betrayed his disdainful expression. Thank you for your insights, Initiates. We will be sure to consult you if we need any strategic advice. Federhel caught the master's sarcasm and nodded demurely. There really is no need to be concerned, since they won't catch up with us, said Gustav. But I say we appoint someone to keep an eye out for it once we reach Boneyard Bay. He smiled at von Baumeister. Don't worry, Master Witch Hunter. You can just carry on with your journey as before. As long as you keep me in your midst, you will stand a chance. And then he winked. Von Baumeister suddenly veered towards the Flatlander and grabbed him by his shirt. Would you like to swim the rest of the distance to Boneyard Bay, you worthless purveyor of useless trinkets? You need to learn your place here, Flatlander. It's not as high as you seem to think. Ludlow had expected Gustav to apologize for his behavior, but instead he fixed Von Baumeister with a cold stare. If you throw me overboard, I will be taking the key to the treasure of Boneyard Bay with me to the bottom of the Southern Sea. Von Baumeister's grip only tightened. You forget it is not you who are valuable. 
but what you carry. Gustav shook his head as he tried unsuccessfully to wrest himself free from the witch hunter's grip. The mayor himself guaranteed to me that I myself would be allowed to hold on to the statuette up until the moment it was to be used. That was the agreement. In that case, von Baumeister hissed, I could kill you where you stand and tear it from your cold, dead fingers when it's time to use it. Everyone, even Turmgard, looked a bit shocked by the venom in his words. Gustav's expression softened, as if he had just realized something about von Baumeister that changed his attitude towards the man. Pardon me, Master Witch Hunter, but I do believe you will need my experience and my expertise on this mission as well. Von Baumeister's face became a hard mask. Then he spoke softly. If you were a member of our order, I would have you thrown out, but not before having you flogged until your back and your front were covered in blood. You are not a maggot. If you were a man of experience and expertise, you would have addressed your betters with some decorum. Hand over the statuette now if you don't want your experience to be expanded upon in a most unpleasant manner. Gustav was sweating and the fear in his eyes became clear for all to see, but still he held his ground. I would prefer to hold on to it if you don't mind. It's my statuette, and you can't just take it from me without violating the orders of your superiors. That would be punishable by flogging and expulsion at your end, I think. Ludlov winced at Gustav's words. While he was right, his provocation of von Baumeister's pride was extremely dangerous. He half expected the witch hunter master to strangle the pudgy shopkeeper to death then and there, but unexpectedly, Turmgard's hand landed softly on von Baumeister's shoulder. Perhaps it's better not to waste any more words on this flat maggot, master, he said. His gaze locked onto Gustav's face. Strangely, Ludlov saw something in Turmgard's eyes that belied his words. There was no disgust in them. Even if he were dead, we wouldn't find the statuette in that labyrinth of a rucksack of his anyway. For all we know, it might be guarded by some spell, or enchanted to fit an entire castle inside. Von Baumeister paused, but remained tense with anger. I think we'll see if his experience keeps him alive for the rest of the journey. We could take bets on how many more days he'll survive. I, for one, would have quite a bit of fun with that, Turmgard concluded, all the while still looking at the Flatlander. Von Baumeister slowly regained control over his emotions and finally let Gustav go. The Flatlander straightened his shirt and remained where he stood, although the defiance in his eyes had died down quite a bit. I forgot you are only a shopkeeper. And accustomed to our protocol, Von Baumeister said, with a hint of shame in his voice. We witch hunters risk our lives to protect the innocent lives led by men like you. All we ask is a bit of respect. Gustav swallowed and eyed the witch hunter master warily. You have my respect. All of you. Good. 
the Maumeister said, straightening. Then he turned and left without another word. Tumgard shook his head, grinning. One day you'll get yourself in more trouble than you can handle, Flatlander, he said, and then he followed his master. Federhel had been watching the entire exchange with an incredulous expression in his eyes. At last, Gustav left as well, leaving Ludlow alone with the young man. That was very uncharacteristic of Master von Baumeister, Federhel said. I thought he was known to be a reasonable man, Ludlow commented. Federhel shook his head. From what I heard, he was strict, proud and often harsh, but he had control over his temper. Would never have behaved like this. Indeed, Ludlow said, mulling over the bizarre exchange. Gustav can be infuriating, though. He sighed, looking out over the sea once more. <sighs> there will be enough peril ahead. We should not provoke opposition from our own leadership as well. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode already of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, A Witch Hunter Tale. You heard our youngest son, Liam, in the intro. He's three. I've got our eldest with me, Ronan. He's five. But by the time the last episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay will have been published, he'll be six. Hello, everyone! You probably heard Ronan before in the first episode in the chapter The Forest. I also wanted to thank the following patrons who turned us from zombies into lean, mean, insomniac writing machines and enabled us to bring you this audio epic today. Amy and Dallas Austin, Matt Petain, Peter Strandkrone, Cameron Brantley, Joseph Stowell, Cody Heights, Joshua Ward, Mix and Match, Arno Teva, Caitlin Bredenkamp, Kat Mosiri and Ryan Stock. If you enjoyed this episode, whether with or without wine, and you want some more, consider activating the RSS feed so you'll get notified of our future uploads here on Podbean and please share our stories with your fantasy-loving friends and relatives. And we'd love to read your thoughts and feedback in the comments. Please start your comments with spoiler alert if you want to discuss spoiler-sensitive topics or keep that discussion for the appropriate channel on Discord. You can find the link to join our server in the description. The next chapter is called The Statuette and will be premiered next week. If those seven days weigh too heavily on your patience, you can consider purchasing the entire story on Bandcamp or join us on Patreon to get hold of the extended edition of this story, which makes this 14 and a half hour epic longer by 50 minutes. The extended edition contains some additional scenes that are overall a bit darker in tone and expand some of the existing scenes. It also adds more details about some of the characters' backgrounds, like Ludlov and Chappelle's, and the lore of the setting. And finally, it provides more action and drama, and even contains a surprise epilogue that will grab fans of Witch Hunter in particular, but might also slightly spoil some of the shocking revelations in Witch Hunter. Check out our Patreon page and consider supporting us from as little as $1 a month. That would be a mere $12 a year. It would mean the world to us, or at least buy us two ready-made lasagnas to keep us writers from starvation. Thank you for listening to The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, and we hope you'll return next week for episode 5 already, that will certainly get us closer to that legendary treasure.
As usual, we'll be hanging out in the chat room a couple of minutes before and after and also during the premiere on YouTube. See you then.